Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. A reflection from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. And this reflection comes from On Children. Your children are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. Thus ends the excerpted reading. Yay, Jamie. (laughs) Cool. Sounds great. That's a great reflection for today as we talk about doing ministry, not only with millennials, but also in the generation that's younger with us and kind of what exactly that looks like and how we can be best in conversation with them. So I think that reflection is just so perfect for the conversation that we're about to have. But before we get into that, uh, I guess I have an adventure to share, which is, you know, now I've been in Los Angeles for almost an entire school year. And one of the big challenges, of course, when moving to a new place or starting a new situation at all, and especially when it's all the way across the country, is how to build new relationships, make new friends, build a new professional and personal circle. Um, And so that's been a really big challenge for me with moving out here because I am a bit more introverted. And, of course, I was also just dealing with the logistics of living in a completely new place all the way across the country with a lot of my close friends and family members who I tend to rely on being in a completely different time zone, and I'm so grateful because, of course, I have great friends who live in Connecticut and Virginia, and Portia lives in New Jersey now, um, who have continued to be in such great relationship with me and continue to stay in touch with me and check up on me, and I hope vice versa. Uh, But, of course, you need friends wherever it is that you're currently residing, And so I just want to say that that has been a big adventure for me as someone who's a little bit more introverted. And there's this woman at church who always talks to me about this meme where it says, like, I'm sure you've probably seen this before, Portia, and listeners, you might have seen this before, too. It's this meme that's like, uh, like one of the greatest miracles of Jesus that we never talk about is that he was 30 years old with a close circle of 12 friends. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, that is, it's a huge challenge. I think the older that we get, how to continue to maintain relationships with people, how to meet new people, how to engage with people, how not only to receive new friends and new relationships, but also how to be a good friend, right, who can be invested, especially when you're in a new place and you're dealing with all the kind of hustle and bustle, and especially in a place like L.A. where the culture is a little bit flakier. Uh, I'm sorry to say that about East California folks, but I have received confirmation from other East Coast folks that I'm, like, not making that up. I, but yeah, just making new friends, the closer I get to 30, uh, is so difficult. And it was difficult for me at 10. So 
it's even more difficult now. Uh, but I just want to say that I'm, I'm grateful for the people who have reached out to me, um, you know, here in L.A. who I've been able to make friends with, some of whom actually happen to be from places like Boston, <laughs> which might be part of why we get along so well. Um, but also one of my good friends in my program is from San Diego, so I can't say all bad things about California people as much as I just generalize about y'all. Um, but, yeah, you know, I would say, you know, the summer is coming, y'all. So have an adventure. Like, go out and, like, meet somebody new and, like, not just, like, romantic partners and all of that, of course. Like, go out and, like, date, you know, live your best life. But also go out and just, like, make a new friend. Um, you know, go for a bike ride. Go for a hike. Go to a painting class. Uh, go to a local coffee shop. Um, maybe take a class in something that you've always been curious about, a cooking class or something. And just try to go out and meet someone new, build a new relationship, because that's what I think it really is all about, uh, the relationships that we build, the friendships that we maintain. And even better than that, you know, maybe you have a relationship that throughout the, the fall and the spring you've been busy and you haven't stayed in touch with somebody. Reach out to that person. Just let them know, you know, say hello, see if they can get together, let them know that you're thinking about them, um, because these relationships they're really all we've got, um, you know, and, you know, in the end, we, we like our careers, you know, we like having money, we like having places to live, but it's all about the relationship. So make a new friend or uh, really try to enhance a friendship that you already have. So today we are talking to our friend and colleague who also happens to be one of our bow ties, uh, the Reverend Brandon Harris. And so we're going to head right into our conversation with him. Um, was there anything in particular that you really enjoyed about this conversation, Portia? Yes. So the entire conversation with Brandon was amazing. Brandon dropped so many great gems. I mean, I was just trying to keep up with them all. But you're really, 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 really going to enjoy this episode. This might be one of my favorite interviews yet, Jamie. I really think so. Okay. Awesome. So I guess without further ado, we'll go ahead and get into our conversation with the Reverend Brandon C. Harris. Yay. Hey there, Pearls. Today we are so glad to have a friend to the podcast and one of our bow ties back with us. It is the Reverend Brandon C. Harris. He is the Protestant chaplain at the Law Center and the main campus of Georgetown University, which is located in Washington, D.C., and I was actually thinking about it before we started recording this morning, that I've known Brandon as long as I've known Portia, which is pretty crazy to me because we met the summer before I went to Divinity School. Brandon and I, and I were both interning at my home church, which happens to be located in Alexandria, Virginia, quite close to where Brandon is serving in ministry right now. And I'm just so proud of Brandon. You know, I know that we're peers and colleagues, but he is a little bit younger than Portia and I are. And I'm just so proud of the ministry that you have, Brandon, and I'm so excited to call you a colleague and friend. I feel really blessed to know you, and thank you for being back on Just Two Pearls. Thanks, Jamie and Portia. It's great to be here, and thanks for the invitation. Today we're going to be talking to Brandon specifically about what it looks like to do ministry to young adults, both with millennials, but also as a person who's a chaplain on the main campus of Georgetown University. He's working with people who are the generation below millennials uh, who have grown up in this age where there is so much Internet and social media and kind of all that comes with that. And so Brandon probably has a really unique perspective to offer us today. 
So as we're getting started, Brandon, can you just tell us a little bit about even kind of your seminary journey and then what led you to become a chaplain on a college campus? Yeah, uh, so I went to seminary at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. Um, and when I entered Candler, I had no intentions of entering pastoral ministry or even campus, or campus ministry definitely wasn't on my radar. Uh, my plan was to do a PhD afterwards. I definitely knew that I wanted to teach. I was a TA in early church history and also uh, American religious history. Spent a lot of time studying homiletics as well. Uh, so my interest was very academic. And uh, I had an experience, though, at the congregation that I was a member of, Ebenezer Baptist Church there in Atlanta, where I realized that a lot of college students were coming to the church. Um, but there wasn't really an avenue for them to become engaged in the life of the congregation. Uh, and so when I was brought on as an intern as part of my uh, studies, that was my task. We had a minister for college and young adults, but we were a large church, and that was just sort of a large role for one person. Uh, and so that minister handed off to me the college ministry and said, it's yours. And so uh, I had an incredible experience, uh, had some failures, had some growth, but really developed a love for working with college students. And so when I was wrapping up my time uh, at Candler, realized that at the time I didn't feel called uh, to continue on to school and to, to doctoral work, uh, but instead had an interest in continuing uh, to do work with young adults, and particularly in college ministry. Uh, and so I saw an opening at Georgetown that really seemed like the ideal, my interest it was both academic, uh, but it also had a congregation that I'd be serving. Uh, it involved pastoral care, um, teaching, and so it was sort of just the perfect role uh, that had all of the interests and gifts that I, I felt that I had. Um, and so I've been at Georgetown now for two years. Awesome. So, Brandon, given, you know, your work with young adults, given your work in college ministry, and just even being a young adult yourself, right? And so what's it like for you to be a young adult amongst other young adults and aiding them in their own faith formation on a college campus? Yeah, um, I, I think as a young adult, helping other young adults engage faith, uh, I'm one of the youngest chaplains at the university, and I think I'm able to provide a lens of saying, hey, uh, we're in a journey together, right? That religion is about walking together and exploring who God is and our relationship to God. Uh, and so that it's not, I'm a, not a top-down authority saying, here's all the wisdom that I've accrued because right, I went to graduate school and I have MDiv behind my name. But instead, uh, I'm a fellow sojourner uh, who's on this journey just like you are, trying to figure out what this means for my life, right? Who am I called to be in the world? How do I handle the challenges and trials of life? How do I handle my relationship with God? How do I handle these questions? Um, and so it's been a really good experience. Um, I found that the students have been able to relate, right, because I'm close in age, but yet still a few years older, right? So I, I have a different experience and a different lens uh, than they do. And, and so it's been just a really great journey to be able to walk alongside uh, students uh, we have a really sort of diverse and all kinds of deranged uh, community that I serve. And so I think I bring along with them the, the same sort of skepticism that millennials have, right, the same doubts, many of the same questions. Um, but I, I come from a place as well where I'm committed to the institution. I work for a religious institution. I'm ordained. I represent the church, right? And so um, I think I'm able to, to build a bridge, right, between the healthy skepticism that young adults bring, but also the commitment of working with an intergenerational staff and an institution that goes back to 1789. Wow, I did not know that Georgetown was quite that old, so that is the beginning of the Republic. 
Yeah. Then, Brandon, speaking of that, let's talk about life in Washington, D.C. and what it kind of looks like uh, right now with it being 2018 to be doing ministry and just in general to be living together with, like you said, people of many generations, with a lot of young folks who I'm sure have a lot of questions right now um, with all of the political changes that are happening around us, regardless of their personal politics. There's so much of a lack of civility, and there's so much that probably as a minister you have to offer right now. So can you just talk to us about your experience specifically of being a minister in Washington, D.C. right now with young people? Yeah, this is a really just an interesting age to do ministry, right? The day of the election, I was – so there's, there's sort of all this anxiety leading up to the election. Our students were fine, but – Really, I think what was the catalyst, what was the change was the day of the election where other chaplains and I were there in the student union building at 3 a.m., right, with, un- until 3 a.m. with students. As the returns came in, and you could sense a shift in the room. There were 1,000 students watching the returns come in. And all of a sudden, uh, it was as this, this breaking began to happen, right? A lot of our – Georgetown is a college that is known uh, for political service, uh, for international affairs. So the vast majority of our students are planning on entering some sort of political careers. Um, they know they're going to run for Congress one day. They know they're going to run for the Senate. They know they're going to be involved in the Foreign Service. Uh, I think there are like 23 Georgetown alums in Congress right now. Um, so it's really focused on politics, a little more so than almost other places. And as the returns are coming in, students are beginning to fall apart. And I have students coming up to me, uh, and they're asking questions like, uh, I come from a really conservative family. My family expects me to vote for this particular candidate. I didn't. Also, I haven't come out to my family yet. All of these questions are swirling around. He's like, what do I do? Right? I have uh, an atheist student come up to me and say, uh, hey, where is your God now? Because clearly you Christians have voted for this particular candidate. Right? Um, whether those accusations were fair or not, right? at the moment I re- represented the church. And so all of these questions, all of this angst and wrestling began to come in. And one of the challenges for our students was this anxiety. Uh, we have students now who still have graduated from Georgetown and still have not received their assignments from the government. They're, they were guaranteed a position, uh, and they're still waiting. And there's nothing they can do uh, un- until they receive something. Um, there's just uh, a general sort of angst, a, a constant attention to the news, uh, constant protesting that's occurring in the city. And so all of that affects our students' lives, right? Uh, all of our students are wrestling with these really massive questions that they would deal with anyways about who am I, who am I called to be? But then it becomes, well, what happens to our undocumented students and classmates and friends or people that we're in relationship with, right? What happens to our Muslim and Hindu community as they're being harassed um, by folks, right? Um, as we uh, deal with me too, right, and the political implications of what we see occurring in the White House, and the language that's being used, being there for, for our students uh, of color, being there uh, for women, all of these questions, right, are coming up. And despite people's political opinions, all of our students are beginning to ask these questions of, well, how do I begin to ground myself in something to engage these questions? I think there's an awareness now, because we're in D.C., that the political questions are becoming overwhelming uh, and that there's almost too much be answered. And they are realizing that they don't have the tools or the resources to anchor themselves in something much larger, right, than just the current political moment. 
Uh, and so part of our call as ministers is to remind them that we are part of a much larger story, right, that we are grounded in the narrative of God, that we are grounded in a God who cares for us. Um, and so that means at times uh, preaching messages that are, are difficult and challenge uh, some of the things that are occurring politically. Sometimes uh, it means being really pastoral and preaching about just who am I? Uh, how do I live in community? One of the biggest things that we stress as a Protestant chaplaincy, our congregation is about 40% white, 40% black, and then a, a mix Asian, Latinx, uh, with a large number of international students, and a lot of political diversity. And so we remind them, how do you actually live past talking past each other, right? How do we learn how to be in one community, be one church, um, rather than just yelling at each other and going, well, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, you're this, you're that. Um, so it's a really sort of interesting moment to be in D.C. The other thing I would add is that the general angst uh, and the sort of always needing to be busy in D.C. affects all of the culture. And so for a lot of our students, they feel that they have to be perfect, that they have to have their resumes crafted beginning their freshman year, that they have to have done something that's changed the world, right? That by first semester, freshman year, you have had to have launched a nonprofit, right? Or you had to have gone and studied in Kazakhstan or something like that. And so part of our, our ministry, too, is reminding them that you are more than your resume. Uh, you are more than the people you network with. Um, I think, Jamie, being from this area, you sort of know that culture, right? That it's, it's much more than passing a card to someone and always networking, but that your identity is grounded, again, in the larger narrative of who God is. That's incredible. Oh, my goodness. You just said so much just now, Brandon, and you just dropped so many gems. <laughs> One is just about being in D.C. and just, like, the current landscape and what it's like to do ministry amongst college students in this climate and the questions that are arising and just the wheels and the gears that are turning in their minds. And it's very reminiscent for me of my work with youth and children. Um, and even some young adults, because even though I'm not directly hands-on with young adults, but I do lean on to the young adults in our congregation um, locally here and um, some college students just for kind of help in the labor, um, you know, just to kind of bridge the gaps between the children and um, adults. So the young adult generation is so instrumental and crucial. And so my question and kind of how I'm going to frame this is I think about what Chloe and Hallie say, right? Mm. They just had a new album, and it's called The Kids Are All Right. And I think about yeah. um, one of their songs, Grownish, is, um, or Grown, yeah, Grownish, is uh, the lead song for the show Grownish, which Yara Shahidi's on. And so yeah. Yara Shahidi is very vocal. She's very active. Uh, I know she's a freshman or just finishing up her freshman year at Harvard, sort of, kind of, kind of, sort of, somewhere in there. <laughs> and we're seeing this cross of millennials, the back end of the millennials, and then this, the front end of Gen Z's kind of coming together and they're in college at the same time. And we're seeing them be very vocal from mm -hmm. Parkland to just uh, My Life Matters and all of mm -hmm. these things. And then we see them just kind of emerging and taking on the helm in a new way. And wow. so my question for you is how does for you in the in a academic setting in a school setting how do you think their voices are able to be cultivated and shaped in a, in that space that maybe they can't do or not allowed to do in the local church wow that's a great question that's something i'm really passionate about right um because i feel oftentimes in the local church we tell young adult older millennials right and the tail end of millennials now and then Gen Z, tell them to wait, right? Um, we tell them, well, 
maybe you just need some more experience, right? But I, I think what we're witnessing here is a generation that is passionate, um, that is willing to engage the difficult questions that are facing the world, right? And, and they have the passion, but I also feel like they need the space where it can be cultivated and used, but also supported, right? But not mishandled, right? Because I feel like one of the, the things that's going on with Gen Z in particular, you see around Parkland, other things is that they're vocal, but people are attaching their own agendas, right, to it. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is how do we harness the energy um, and the excitement and the passion while also helping to ground them, again, in something that's much larger than them so that they have these spiritual tools to engage in the activism that they feel called to. Um, and so it's been really interesting watching the generational shift. Uh, so our freshmen were probably that first year of Gen Z students, and their engagement completely rocked our student congregation. First of all, our, like just as a pastor, our attendance went up because of our freshmen. Uh, they were much more engaged in worship. Uh, they were there every Sunday. They were asking difficult questions after the sermons. They immediately joined our board of, we call it the vestry, which uh, for, it comes from the Episcopal Church, but a board of deacons, you know, leadership team. They're, they're joining the vestry, and they're engaged in community service um, because they have this energy, they have this passion, they have this excitement. But what we have found is on the, the other side of it is that, they didn't have the background, right? So they were interested. They wanted to engage in these questions about religion, meaning justice. But a lot of them came from churches that didn't give them religious education. A lot of them came from communities that didn't allow them to speak. And so what we said is, hey, we'll allow you to speak. We'll allow you to use your voice. But we'll also support you in, in teaching basics, right? So we had to do a sermon series on, well, why do we pray? Why do we read scripture? Why do we take communion every week? Um, as a sort of a back-end support uh, to Gen Z students, to, to millennials. Um, so I, I think in, in going to the church, right, it's, it's not being afraid to harness the ideas uh, that millennials, uh, that Gen Z students bring, uh, that young adults bring, while also providing the support that they may need. One of the examples that I'll always use is a congregation I served out in Northern Virginia. At, I was a young adult, I'm still a young adult, but I was just out of college, had all of these ideas and a lot of passion but I needed support at the same time. And so it was a congregation that was willing to sit me down when I needed it, to teach me, to engage my questions and my doubts, but they also took my ideas. They were also willing to engage with my ideas. And I think so often churches are just dismissive, right? Saying, well, we can't do that, or we've always done it this way, or they don't want to wait their turn, right? So how do we create space uh, for both ends, for, for folks to learn from each other, but also to harness the creativity and the energy while we have it now? while young adults are still interested in the church, right? Because if we're not willing to meet with them now where they are, uh, the church will not always be an option. Um, and I, I've seen with our Gen Z students, they are much more willing to engage with institutions and with the church for now if we're able to support them. So that's been one of the, I think, the, the most interesting things about working with them. That's really interesting. I was not expecting that response at all. And I do think it might point to, I don't know, just further research for someone, maybe, maybe you, Brandon, when you go back to do that PhD <laughs> at some point, uh, just in terms of what this generational shift means for those who were born after the year 
you know, 2000, um, I, I completely agree with you, Brandon, from um, both of you know that I'm not, you know, serving in a church right now, but from when I was, I did notice such a difference in the, you know, kids at that point. Now some of them are headed off to, you know, high school and college. And, of course, I don't know if you notice this in your church as well, where there are these young people who are under 18 or just turning 18, they are really passionate about, like, trying to figure out how to make it work in the institution. And a lot of us who were, you know, millennials, not any of us on this call, obviously, we went to seminary. <laughs> we went the opposite <laughs> way. We went straight to the institution. But um, millennials are more split. Some of us have gone directly to the institution, and others of us have, like, fled the institution. I guess you can say I'm halfway between those two things. But, yeah, with this younger generation where they really want to figure out how to make it work with the church and kind of what is that going to mean for us who are these millennials um, who can relate to that younger generation, but also who can speak to older generations. What does that mean for, you know, kind of the shape of ministry? Because a lot of what they were telling me, at least, is, well, the church is going to die. You're going to need to figure out some other way to do ministry. And Brandon, you're pointing to, and I think Portia, your work might point to this as well, areas of possibility where, no, the church doesn't have to die. We, we, we are going to need to change our ways, but, no, the church isn't going to die. <laughs> you know, it's such yeah. a, a false yeah. narrative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not going to die. It, it never dies because we, and we as people of faith know that it's not going to die, even though we, we do believe in resurrection. So if it would die, there's, it's mm-hmm. going to resurrect because we're people of resurrection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think in that, it never truly dies. It may look like death, but I, what I do believe is that it evolves. And mm-hmm. so I think there's mm-hmm. something to that. And these kids are so passionate, and they're so on mm-hmm. fire, and I love them so much. And so it just in my local context work, I've realized the way that we approach ministry or that the ways that we've experienced ministry may need to look a lot differently than what we've done it before because mm-hmm. – if we're going to harness, you know, their energy, if we're going to harness their passion, their gifts, and their talents for the edification of the body of Christ, then we've got to do something different. We just have to. And even mm-hmm. from our preaching to our teaching methods, not necessarily the content of what we talk about, and, but just being mindful of the context of which we serve and what we need to do to kind of stretch them, to expand them, and to help them know that God is real and that God is a God of justice, a God of redemption, a God of love, and one who is ever-present in all times of trouble, no matter what it looks like, and Mm. holding on to that. And this is a fertile time in the body of Christ. But we might miss it if we don't um, if we don't pay attention. And I think that's why there are more young adults serving in ministry, like the people like yourself, Brandon, like me, even you, Jamie. Like I think God has called us young that we might serve in this time, that we might mm. be the bridge between what has been and then what will be. If that makes sense. <laughs> definitely, definitely. If I could jump in real quick too about that, you know, I, I think that's such an important point you just made. Is, is that, that bridge-building piece? And I think that's what uh, millennial clergy will, and, and lady will wind up doing for the church, right, is, is building a bridge between Gen Z, right, and then Gen X and baby boomers, right? Um, that will be a connection piece for all of this. But in order to reach a new generation, uh, our methods have to change. I can't tell you how serving in this context has changed how I've had to do ministry, right? I love traditional, whatever you want to call it, black preaching, right? 
Um, I love folks to talk back to me, right? holler, get excited, and shout. But I realized in order to reach the students that we have to reach, a lot of them aren't even familiar right, with the basics of Christianity or uh, I can't talk about Cone because I, James Cone because I can't, or uh, Katie Cannon because they don't even know the canon, right? Um, and so I have to start from the beginning. I'm teaching basics. Uh, my preaching style with my students has to become much more teaching oriented which has required adjustments. But I'm like, if I'm going to harness their passion and energy, then I need to equip them with what they need in order to use their gifts, right? So it means taking a step back from what we might prefer in order to support someone else to do what God is calling them to do. Yeah, right on. You know, I think uh, it's just so important that this idea of not telling them that they have to wait all the time. Because I think one thing that we've seen, um, like Portia said, from parklands to the Me Too movement and even just the way that these kids can build these social media accounts with a million followers in a day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gen S, they are smart, they're creative, they're resourceful. And yes, Brandon, I completely agree with what you're saying about teaching, but they are sponges for knowledge. And yes, I think that that's a huge gift that that generation has. And we have the ability, I think, as you said, as millennials, to be able to speak to them and teach them in ways that they understand and that get them excited to be passionate about the work. And I hope that as millennials, any millennials who are listening and even Generation Xers, baby boomers, will take that seriously, that we really have a call as older generation to reach out to them and inspire them and let them know that they don't need to wait 10 years to be ready, they just need to educate themselves, harness their passion and their creativity, and put it to good use for the kingdom of God or whatever it is that they feel called to do in the world. So I think that's a that's a great message and and probably a great, hopefully a great call to action for many of our listeners who are older um, than Generation X to like really take that seriously. Yeah, and so Brandon, it's been really, really great having you back. We really, really appreciate you, and we love you as one of our bow ties. And this has been such a fruitful conversation in so many ways. So we're just so glad that you joined us, and we're looking forward to having you again. <laughs> Thank you all so much for having me. I always, it's always a blast being on here. For those who may want to follow you, how can they get in touch with you? You can find me on Facebook, just at Brandon Harris. That's where I post most of my musings regarding the subject area. So that would be probably the best area to find me. Uh, or feel free to send me an email as well at bh631 at georgetown.edu. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you all. So that was our conversation with the Reverend Brandon C. Harris, uh, who is just such a great friend. I'm so glad to have him as one of our brothers and colleagues in ministry. And I just love what he had to say about even his own journey in seminary, Portia. You know, uh, obviously both of us probably went into divinity school with all sorts of thoughts and plans about what we'd be doing when we got out. And I thought that was really interesting to hear, because I didn't know that, that Brandon wasn't even really thinking about, you know, traditional ministry as his career for after he finished divinity school what were you i don't know if i even remember this portia what were you thinking about doing when you started divinity school at yale you know what when i started divinity school at yale um it's funny right because at first i was like yeah i'm just only here because i'm going to go into a phd program and whatever God wants me to do, he's trying to let me do both of these things, right? And then it was like, oh, then I'm going to be a college chaplain. Yeah, I'm going to be a chaplain. Yep, I'm going to be a chaplain. And then it was like, oh, my God, 
I don't know what I want to do. Maybe I'm going to go into the military and be a chaplain. And then it was like, yeah, I don't really feel like getting fit and losing all that weight. And then it was like, oh, then I'm going to, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. Yep, I'm going to be a pastor. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pastor. And then now I'm a youth pastor. And look at God. Mm -hmm. So you never know how your journey is going to kind of just end up along the way. And our journeys aren't over. So, I mean, there's multiple things that we can do, you know, along the way. But it's just so funny. Um, when I started uh, Yale, I would have never thought that I would be um, in in youth ministry in New Jersey during this political climate, during all of the things that we talked about with Brandon. Like, I would have never imagined, like, this is where I would be. So I was really excited to hear his story and just kind of where he started and where he is now and just kind of – helps us to be in awe with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, God, as we were just saying before we even started recording today, she is funny. Isn't she? Hilarious. You know, God, God is so good. So this is no critique um, of my Lord and Savior. Uh, however, God is just funny. The things that God comes up with for us to do, you know, I would have never imagined that I would be, in Los Angeles, California, for any reason, not even vacation. I would never even imagine that I would have a podcast. I'm not sure that I even knew what that was in 2012. (laughs) I could never imagine that uh, I would be even ordained. I'm not even sure that that was necessarily on the register of why I went to divinity school. I could have never imagined the life that I have now, but it's so much better than anything that I could have come up with on my own. And so I think that's always the funny thing about it. It's like, God, this is not what I had planned, but it's way better. Thank you. (laughs) You know, because I think we dream kind of small, and the plans that God has for us are big. And I think I always just think that's so awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. God is just so amazing. And the things that we don't even think are possible sometimes – God just surprises us, and it's like, hi, remember that? Or, hey, did you know we could do this? Or, hey, did you know we could do that? And so God is truly amazing, and I just, I just stand in awe with God every single day. I really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And even with all that awe, Jamie, guess what? What, girl? God is still petty. So in the spirit <laughs> of pettiness, Jamie, <laughs> you know, God is petty. It's, you know, we've been through this. So, girl, you feel like being petty today in the spirit of our Lord and our and our wonderful mother God? Yeah, I think I got something for y'all. I have spent a lot of my young adult life on a college campus. I went to Wellesley College, which, you know, is a women's college, and there's a particular way that we carry ourselves on women's college campuses. And then I went to Yale University to a divinity school in particular, and I think there's just a certain culture of those East Coast um, northern schools where even when we're having fun, there's something a little bit kind of dodgy and, uh, you know, just very, like, New England, just very old about it. But, y'all, this is my first time being at one of these California schools. Uh, So I'm at UCLA right now, and, you know, a lot of what you see in TV shows and movies, like they film Dear White People Here, so all of the landscapes that you see, um, you know, a lot of what you see in the movies regarding uh, the sorority-type movies and, you know, especially looking at white sororities and that sort of thing, that stuff is filmed here at UCLA. And let me tell you, 
the school is very true to the reputation as you see it in those TVs uh, and movies. And I just wasn't quite ready for that. I just thought it was a stereotype. But no, like, that is Southern California life for you. People are much more relaxed. There's a certain way that people speak, which is quite different from the way that we speak on the East Coast. Um, there's a certain way that people dress, which is a little bit unusual to me. So ever since April, when we, started, when, when we came back to start the last quarter of the academic year, of course, the college seniors have been doing the most. They are all excited because they are about to graduate. But mind you, in April, their graduations are still about 12 weeks away. UCLA has a very long academic year. Uh, so there's no reason to get turned like that all the way back in April. So, you know, I like to go work out early in the morning. I like to go to the gym on campus. And Portia, Pearls, these college students, they are out. They are wearing these little dresses. They are wearing their stoles. They are wearing these pointy high heels. They're wearing, um, you know, their suits and their ties, and they're doing the absolute most. And it's only like 6 a.m. when I'm on campus, so like, there's no reason for this. They have these professional photographers who were out taking pictures of them at 6 in the morning, and uh, they're just posing in these little tiny dresses. And sometimes it's kind of cold at 6 in the morning, um, but they're posing. They're on top of the Bruin Bear doing all these poses. They're throwing confetti. Sometimes if it's closer to 8 a.m. than 6 a.m., they're like drinking their alcohol. And I'm like, I don't know who's teaching you. I don't know who's going to receive you after you do all this. But like, yo, it's April. It's May. I need you to chill. You were doing the most at 6 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Can you please relax? So college seniors, I'm proud of you. Shout out to you. You know, you've worked really hard for, you know, four, sometimes five years being an undergrad. But, oh, my gosh, like, why are you doing the absolute most? Like, can you at least wait until, like, two or three weeks before your graduation? These college kids, Portia, um, they are not messing around. They go hard. And I would just say, you know, watch out, world. There are all these seniors who are about to come out. I don't know what they're up to, but uh, we are definitely in for something. And so just to all the students who are graduating this year, uh, on behalf of the Pearls, we say congratulations. Remember to cultivate the pearl within you. But uh, don't be petty. Like, don't be out here with this alcohol at 8 a.m. Like, relax. You're doing way too much. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just two pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.